The Valley Hub Stories podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been recorded, Gumbangia country. We express our gratitude for their care of and connection to country throughout time. Welcome to episode two of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. Today we are talking to a very special woman, someone who has facilitated the coming together of many couples within the Nambucca Valley and beyond. She is warm and witty with an enviable balance between worldliness and romanticism. Kim Piper is a renowned marriage celebrant and compere extraordinaire. Her tagline is, what the world needs now is love, more love. And I think after listening to today's episode, you will find yourself wrapped up in the incredible sense of joy that Kim brings to this conversation about life, big moments and all things love. I've been a celebrant this year for 13 years. I had always been a presenter, so I presented a lot of events and special nights, that sort of thing. So for me, it was another step uh, in the presenting to do the legalities of marrying people. So still a performance, but uh, sort of with the legal touches. And how long have you lived in Corindy? Well, I came to Corindy Beach about 14 years ago for a little while, moved away, but always felt like my heart was in Corindy. So here I am back again, been back again about 18 months. Can we talk a little bit of the scope of your work and how far you do travel? Well, I have been right up to Queensland and I've been right down to Newcastle and inland to Gunnedah. So within that, I prefer to stay closer to home and on the mid-north coast, but I can travel when, when need be. What's the most interesting celebration that you've been a part of? That one springs to mind straight away. I did a wedding at a commune and I married a, a delightful couple that had been together for about 20 years and they, they'd never married even though they had teenage children and they said they wanted to formalise their relationship because a lot of their friends were splitting up after a long time and they wanted to show their children that they were solid. So that was a nice reason to start with. The fun part came when we got to the wedding and they, they told everyone, about 120 people, to wear white and be prepared to get dirty. Now, as soon as we pronounced them husband and wife in a quirky ceremony on a dry creek bed, they opened fire with super soakers filled full of paint and there were paint bombs and <laughs> it was just mayhem and everyone had the best time. It was just lovely. Rainbows of paint everywhere. And how many couples would you have married at this point? I believe I got to about 500 weddings and stopped counting. So, yes, a lot. lot. Because spending such a period of time with couples in the planning stages would create a special bond. Do you still keep in contact with some of the couples that you've married? Yeah, with lots of them. It's really lovely. Of course, social media these days and Facebook every now and someone will pop up that you haven't thought of or heard from from a long time, but they obviously are, are just keeping keeping an eye on things and and be in touch. It's really lovely. And of course, then we often get people following up for us to marry their siblings or, you know, things like that within the family. So that's nice too. Tell me a bit more about the lead up to the big day. What's required of couples? What's required of you? Tell me about the work that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, there's a lot goes on before that, that big day. There's probably about 20 hours go into a wedding that no one ever sees. 
uh, apart from the ceremony itself. One of the first things you have to do is not lodge what we call a notice of intention to marry. And that has to be in a month before the wedding. So you can't, um, you can't just get up today and decide you want to get married this afternoon. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so a month we have that form lodged. And then the writing of the ceremony, the collating of the information they, they give. And then I like to send the ceremony out. Let them have a look, make sure everything that's in the ceremony they feel comfortable with, it sits right, and they, they're happy for that to be to be said. And I don't veer from that. Once we've got the ceremony together, that's that's how it is. And I always encourage people to have a rehearsal for two reasons. There are there is some more paperwork that needs to be uh, signed and and followed up close to the ceremony, so it's a good opportunity to do that. But also rehearsal's important. It's a foreign situation for a lot of people and so to have a rehearsal so everyone feels comfortable about who's standing where and who's doing what and what's going to happen next, it's not rocket science but it does make people feel better when when they have a bit of a grip on how it's going to go. So rehearsals are very important. And then, of course, the big day. And on the big day, I'm at the ceremony a half an hour before anyone's expected and have that all set up, set the scene, have some nice music playing getting ready for the big event. I'd like to know about how most couples experience their big day, the nerves, the anticipation, and some of the interesting interactions that you've had around that. Oh, gosh. (laughs) How many? It's interesting because some people go very quiet. Some people chatter nonstop. There was a young fellow that was very, very nervous. And um, while we were waiting for everyone to get in place and the bride to arrive, I actually suggested he might hold my hand, mother likes, you know. And um, so I, I was holding his hand, which he was crushing, looking out to sea and saying, it's going to be fine, it's all going to be good. And um, he looked at me and he said, it's all right for you, you do this every weekend, I've never done it before, which was quite a reality check really. And I've thought about that since and thought, that's true. While, while you know, it's not so scary for me, for someone who's not done it before and it's very meaningful and it's, it's a pivotal moment, I have to be aware that that's different for them. So that's, that's been something that's happened. But so many, to tell you, I, I wouldn't know where to start. So many big things happen in weddings, you know, traditions and, and songs and, and readings and moments. Do you have a favourite part of weddings that you really just derive a lot of joy from? Oh, gosh, I should have thought about this one a bit harder, shouldn't I? (laughs) I'll think about it later. Um, It'll come to me later. Look, just so many. Um, There was a a fabulous wedding that I did, which after the wedding they staged a photograph of the bride actually with the the groom on the ground and she was dragging him by the collar uh, into the chapel. That was quite funny. They were a good, fun couple. But the elements that people put in stepchildren and as they come down the aisle high-fiving their new stepdad-to-be, things like that. It's, there's just something at every wedding that's special and different. Such a huge privilege to be a part of, uh, you know, a day that people remember forever. Privilege is is the absolute word. That's that it, it is because it's an intimate thing. Uh, even before the wedding, you're sort of delving around in their feelings and uh, the intimacies of their relationship. What makes it tick? Uh, so it is a privilege to be part of it. And it's funny that you should say that because I often open my ceremonies by saying that it's a privilege to be here, and I thank them for uh, letting me be part of one of their most special memories. Are there any favourite locations you like to conduct weddings? 
Ah, well, I do a lot of weddings at a Nuka resort. That's a good home base. But I, I like little weddings. Oh, I like big weddings. I'm pretty happy wherever. <laughs> as long as we're not getting rained on or blown away, I think is the, is the thing. And I often say to people, you've got to think about that we live on the coast and the weather can be a bit temperamental. And so you have to have a backup plan. That's the most important thing on, on the north coast. Kim, as you know, Nambucca Valley is a small town and I'm sure that this podcast will reach somebody who knows somebody who's been married by you. Uh, Can you share a little of the weddings that you have facilitated in the Nambucca Valley? Beautiful. So I've been down that way um, quite a few times. A lot of families down that direction. Um, One particular family that they, they keep getting me back for each family member that gets that gets married or, or name their babies. <laughs> so that's fun down that way as well. But yeah, beautiful area down that way. Tell me a bit about the training behind becoming a wedding celebrant. Well, it's it's changed a little since I trained the 13 years ago. So it, now I believe it's done through a university. It wasn't done that way back in, in my time. But there's, there's quite a lot of legality goes into being a celebrant. Everything has to be correct. So um, that's, that's a large part of the training. A lot of it is kind of left for you to put your personality on things. So they will get you to do mock weddings, baby namings and, and record them and submit them as your assignments and things like that. But a lot of it, apart from what you must say, is left for your own personality and your own style to be created. You know, with couples having such a large impact on your life, do they come into your head every now and again and you think, oh, I wonder, wonder what they're up to now? They do and they do and having married so many, it, it's sort of like you'll be in the middle of Target and you see someone you think, oh, I think I remember them and, uh, and there they are with three little children because it's been some years since you married them. But yeah, definitely and, and I stay, you know, a lot of people I've stayed friends with, not, not just married them but stayed friends with and still still see them so yes and having been a part of you know unique situations like this do you have any special strategies that you use to write ceremonies for your couples or is it quite heartfelt tell me a little bit more about that so when I'm speaking with people I do ask them whether they would like to write their own wedding vows, which is sometimes daunting for some people and for others that's really high on their their priorities. The thing is they have to think long and hard about it because it's not like the bold and the beautiful. You do have to make sure that it it makes sense and that you're able to actually deliver uh, those words at the time. When emotions are running high and you're really speaking from the heart, it can be very hard. So you know, I talk people through that. I, I sometimes will write the ceremony for them. I write the vows that I would like made to me, the promises that I think are important, put that in the ceremony and then give it to them. And sometimes they'll look at it and say, yep, that's exactly what I want to say. And other times they'll say, yeah, I, I like the way that you thought about that, but I'd like to add this as well. And that's fine too. It, my, my slogan is your day, your way. Uh, I want them to uh, to have that day that says that says what what they're feeling, not not what someone else is telling them they should say. So you would have to be, you know, a fairly romantic person to bring that out of of you for somebody else or for you know a couple. Tell me where that comes from within you. I think I'm a true romantic at heart. I like 
I like that. I like to bring a tear to people's eye. I like to make them chuckle during a ceremony too because I think, well, that's life's about, you know, the, the light and the shade. But the romantic part is lovely and to feel that, to feel a couple with that excitement is just is amazing and to be part of that and to actually say the words they're in their heart it's 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 a privilege and so to be able to sort of find those words and say it and for them to say that's exactly how I feel is is amazing and I feel I've done my job I guess your skills are probably in demand at family events (laughs) how do your family feel about you being a wedding celebrant well, my husband uh, helps me. He He's very good at carrying the equipment and making it all sound fabulous. So because we're a good team, we work together and he knows when the music needs to start and stop and make it all sound fabulous. So he's, he's my my best hand. My family, I guess, um, I guess they're just kind of used to it. I guess they're proud of me in a way, but it's just sort of something I do. In 2017, uh, same-sex marriage became legal in New South Wales. Have you conducted many LBGTQI plus weddings? So on my website, you'll see a little tag that says, what the world needs now is love, more love. So since we've had a change of law, marrying same-sex couples, love is love and it's beautiful And it gives me great pleasure to be able to give those people what they have had denied for such a long time. Just lovely. I'm curious if there's a different sense or energy about the day, you know, when comparing heterosexual and same-sex weddings. Is there a different kind of focus within the planning stages and within the day itself? Yeah, I think think back to the first same-sex marriage that I did, and I remember looking at one of the ladies' dads, and the look on his face actually brings tears to me now. It was a, it was a look of sheer amazement. I think that that this could be happening because it was just so far from anything that this gentleman in his seventies imagined to see his daughter fulfil the same as his other children. And I had to stop looking at him because my eyes welled up because the look was amazing. Tell me about some of the culturally diverse weddings and how some of the traditions and symbolisms may vary. It's always lovely to include something from from the bride or groom's heritage, from their culture. And so I've come across some fabulous things over the years. One of them was uh, a German tradition where to leave the church, uh, a log of wood is placed across the door and a two-handled saw is placed um, for the bride and groom to saw their way through the log. And this symbolises working together as you do in marriage, the push and the pull and um, being a team. And so they cut that log of wood so they can leave the church. And that was something that that we did at a wedding uh, down Nambaka Way a few years ago, which was really lovely. And both the Australian family loved it and the people from Germany thought it was great that it was included as well. I've also, uh, there's a Polish ceremony that we did where uh, the parents of the bride and groom uh, come up to the altar and they share uh, vodka, bread and salt with the bride and groom. And it's to symbolise life 
so that you always have friends to drink with, you always have food to eat. And I'm not quite sure what the salt was for, but it, w- it was a really interesting ceremony. I guess things often go wrong. Oh, there's lots of those. <laughs> there's lots of those. And sometimes the most micromanaged weddings are the ones where things go wrong. And look, something always goes wrong. It, it's going to happen because it's Again, it's not it's not a movie. We can't reshoot it. It's life. It's happening. And so, you know, dads trip over trains and people, little people, bridesmaids announce in the middle of the ceremony that they need to use the bathroom and funny things always happen. But I always say to people, um, it's those little funny things that go wrong that you remember and that's what you're going to laugh about in years to come with your grandchildren. So you've just got to embrace them and get on with it. Don't let it wreck your day. So hospitality event and, and wedding industry really suffered during COVID uh, and I'm sure it was just an incredibly challenging time, you know, not just for professionals of, of this craft but also for couples and the constant up and down of, you know, will it, will it or won't it. Can you tell me a bit about your experiences of working in the industry during COVID? Well, that was hard. That was hard because so many plans were just put on hold or cancelled or it was just a never-never really. Uh, It felt like it was never going to happen again. And there were people who cancelled and rescheduled two, three times. There were brides in tears. There were – it was a really hard time for, for weddings as well as for the rest of the world with what we were all going through it's lovely. I feel now that we have the hope again and people are making plans and they feel that they can look forward and, and do it again, which is, which is really lovely to see it all picking up again. Did you have any weddings that were impacted by the bushfires or floods? I have been taken across a, a swollen creek bank, <laughs> which was really scary. I had gumboots on and um, I was in a Land Rover and I, and I was really frightened that I was not going to get to that wedding. But they did spirit me across um, the Bellinger River <laughs> to, uh, to marry. So that the floods definitely impacted that one. And then I thought maybe I'm going to get stuck here and we'll all have to spend the night for the honeymoon, you know, but um, they got me back again. Having married, you know, over 500 people, you know, I'm sure you've seen a, a diversity of culture and traditions. Have you married, married any couples that stood out to you in terms of their cultural or, or religious or age differences? Something that seems to have happened, it's a repetitive thing, is marrying people who perhaps were childhood sweethearts, went on to go their own separate ways marry other people, have lives, have children, and then come together years and years down the track, like sometimes, you know, 30, 40 years down the track, meet each other again, have the same spark. I think we have Facebook to thank for being able to track people down these days. But I have, I've married quite a few people in that situation that have just had that same spark that they had when they were 15 and they've married and, and are really happy. So that's, that's a nice story. Any advice you'd give to couples around communication or anything else that you think is worth taking out into the world? As a celebrant, part of my 
my job and part of what I have to do is uh, when I meet people before I marry them is I have to suggest to them that counselling is an option, that you don't wait for things to fall apart, you don't wait for things to go bad before you look for help and um, it suggests that, you know, that's that's not a failing, that, that that's sort of like training that you need to uh, to do that, to look after your relationship. It takes that work and that's part of, part of a celibate's job, sorry, part of a celebrant's job to suggest that and make sure people are aware of what's in the community to help them. It, marriage is not easy. It, it needs some tender, loving care and maybe sometimes a little bit of coaching along the way and, um, and it's out there. What barriers do you think prevent people from obtaining that help? You know, is it lack of access to services? Is it, you know, time? Yeah, I think people probably are hesitant to put their hand up and say that they're in trouble because that, that's sort of not, that's not the look of love. We expect it to all be flowers and roses and, and chocolates all the time. And unfortunately, life's not like that. And I think probably within their own thinking, there's a stigma to things not going well or not being right. Uh, and I, I think we've just got to get past that. If it, was a, if it was a car, you'd go and get it fixed. If it was your dog, you'd take it to the vet. You've got to look at it as something that if there's something wrong, you know, get it checked out. Having married over 500 people, is there anything you've learnt about relationships that you can leave with us? One of the things that I I often put probably nearly always in my ceremonies is that you need to hold each other in the highest regard. To me, that's really important. You need to make each other more important than your best friend, more important than, you know, your brother or sister. You have to be number one to each other. And and I think that's, that's the kingpin to relationships. If you're making each other the most important thing in each other's life, it's a good point to start. Thanks, Kim. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you have any questions for Kim, please jump onto our Valley Hub Forum Facebook group. Link is in the show notes. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next week, please like and share our podcast and we hope that you will tune back in again soon. Bye.